0: Hello and welcome to Real Deals' first ever Virtual Special Situations Roundtable. I'm Talia Masiri, Editor at Real Deals, and today I'm joined by Ben Slatter, Partner at Rutland Partners, William DeLaslo, Founding Partner at Agathos Management, Jack Baines, Partner at McFarland's; Ian Caulfield, Partner at FRP Advisory, and Andrew Johnson, Director at Paragon International. To start, could you all please introduce yourselves, your role and your firm? Um, Ian, perhaps you could go first.
1: So as I'm a partner, a restructuring partner at FRP Advisory. I had the pleasure of joining just as lockdown hit, so I've made an office about three or four times. Um, prior to joining FRP, uh, well, I first started at KPMG, 20 odd years restructuring as a partner at Grant Thornton. I then spent five years out of the restructuring profession, first as head of uh, debt advisory corporate finance at CBRE Hotels Europe. Uh, And then I actually went out lending money around Europe for a US debt fund, looking at uh, bigger ticket, non-conforming transactions. Uh, The one that people would most know about would be British Steel, where I kind of originated, executed and then sat in the middle of the workout uh, with all the government officials, etc. At the end of it as well. And that gave me a flavour for coming back into my uh, first love of restructuring.
0: And Jack, if you wouldn't mind giving a quick introduction to yourself.
2: Of course. Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jack Baines. I'm a partner at McFarland's. Um, I head up the, the restructuring insolvency team at the firm. And as you can imagine, it's been a, a particularly active 2020. Um, we as a team uh, pride ourselves on, on looking after um, clients across the spectrum. So uh, we've been very busy looking after corporate sponsors, lenders, and particularly Fundland is, is, a, is a specialism of ours, um, and as well as uh, insolvency practitioners um, in uh, in a whole host of of, of uh, transactions, which I'm sure we'll get onto as uh, as the session continues.
0: Definitely, thanks, Jack and Andrew. Hi,
3: hi. Yes, uh, Andrew Johnson. Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm a director at Paragon Insurance Brokers. I was formerly um, a solicitor at Square Pattern Boggs for ten years. I've uh, started in straight M and A and then moved into more of a restructuring and insolvency role in the last uh, five to six years. I moved across. I was previously at Marsh in their transactional risk team for the last four years, uh, predominantly doing well, ensuring straight M and A solvent, successful businesses. Um, albeit in the last kind of year pre. Um, what everyone seems to forget about pre-COVID we had this thing called Brexit so I was spending more time with former clients and advisors on how we could evolve insurance products around the distressed area Um, so I'm sure we'll come on to that later on and like Ian I started in uh, yeah I started uh, in the middle of a lockdown so um, I've yet to meet probably 85% of my uh, colleagues so
4: it's, uh, it's all new.
0: Oh, wow, really interesting. Thanks, Andrew. Um, and William, if you could give an introduction as well, please.
4: Yeah, thank you. My name's uh, Will DeLaslo. I'm the uh, co-founder of Agathos, which is a small uh, UK PE fund focusing on uh, UK SMEs um, and complex ITs. Um, founded in 2014, kind of Fund 1, and then uh, we're now just moving into kind of Fund 2 at this uh, kind of at this time frame. My kind of background behind that was a little bit, more of an unconventional route from uh, leaving the military, uh, working at um, JP Morgan, uh, and then doing a uh, MBA at Oxford, and then working for another private equity fund that does um, uh, complex sits as well, and then moved off and set up my own fund, which was extraordinary.
0: Really interesting background. Thanks, Will. And last but not least, Ben. Hi.
4: Good morning,
5: everyone. So I'm Ben Slatter, a partner with Rutland Partners. been at Rutland since 2001, so I joined just after Rutland raised its first fund. uh, We're a special sits uh, fund, 263 million fund. We're investing fund three at the moment. We've got seven businesses in the portfolio and have been doing special sits investing for 20 years. So, looking for good, resilient businesses, but with some complexity where we can buy at value. So, you know, we're value investing and hoping to make a big deal of difference in the businesses we invest in to drive value for our investors.
0: Great, great. Thanks, Ben. And looking forward to getting all of all of your views. Um, I think we've got a really diverse and experienced panel today. So um, I'm keen to get straight into it. Um, so the volume of special sits and distressed deals in the European market, um, it hasn't been as high. I know, Jack, you kind of mentioned at the start, we, we kind of have had quite um, a busy period and Andrew as well. Um, but it hasn't been as as kind of busy as expected since the outbreak of the pandemic. Um, and I'm keen to understand why that is. So Jack, have you got any opinions on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I talked about being busy, I, I suppose it, from from an advisor's perspective, a lot of it has been around um, particularly uh, at, the, at the outset of of uh, the impact of the pandemic on on the economy. It was primarily around some sort of crisis management and um, helping. Uh, clients of the firms un- understand um, wh- wh- where their pockets of liquidity might be um, and helping directors to understand how they might navigate their their, their duties in the circumstances they're, that they're finding themselves in mm. but it, it is fair to say that um, perhaps there hasn't been as much of a, a, a volume of, of transactions quite yet and certainly you look at some of the, the government statistics on insolvencies and Um, and and they're heading in a a downward direction in the course of the year, certainly compared to the previous year. And and I think part of that is just down to a a lack of triggers. Uh, There's been plenty of um, lender forbearance, particularly with with the high street lenders have been um, trying to do their best to to support businesses. Uh, A lot of support in terms of uh, liquidity from from various government know, time to pay from HMRC, uh, the job retention scheme um you know c, c bills and cl bills yes so there's a pl- plenty of reasons why businesses have been able to to get by um and the exceptions to that are where you're in specific sectors which i, I think will probably come on to um, but you know in, in those sort of obvious areas that there are more immediate challenges and that's where we've seen more more transactional activity and but other, other things i think will probably Flow in due course. We're not we're
0: not quite there yet. And Ian, I saw you um uh, speak on this too. Um, what are you seeing, and, and why has the why has the special sits environment not been as perhaps busy as expected?
1: I think Jack's right, though. You know, we we've been busy, but the imperative to make decisions has been taken away from boards of directors. So mm. when the government quite understandably brought in ban on enforcement, ban on uh, forfeiture. For a short period of time, this temporary relaxation on wrongful trading, it took the um, driver away from the board to actually force a decision or to hit timetables, other than in certain sectors, which we'll talk about. So the the big thing for me is we've been busy around kind of extending covenant resets, uh, um, kind of what I would call guardian angel roles, where you're talking to debt funds, equity funds, other stakeholders around what do you do if you have to, okay um, so I think there's until there's a, uh, some tr- a next set of triggers which as it stands right now I think it's first of January unless the government extends some of these provisions
0: will as well from your perspective from an invest- um, as as a private equity investor um what kind of opportunities has I seen um, has it been a challenging environment for you
4: um, I mean we've, we've like I think mean, most private equity funds has kind of you, you rattle back and very quickly to focus on the portfolio and making sure that's stable and you know touch wood that is um uh you know we haven't had any casualties within the portfolio and, and only one of the businesses have, has taken on a kind of Seabills bills loan um so you know that's that, we're incredibly lucky but to your point around why is you know why aren't we seeing this kind of influx of deals i, I think it's to, to ian's point it's just relatively straightforward there's been a huge Kind of government-led influx of capital into the market, which ultimately has resulted in a lot of the problem businesses not failing because they've taken on loans, mm. uh, kind of uh, the kind of follo folor um, schemes that have been put in place, government kind of bounce back loan schemes, all of that, and so therefore decisions haven't been needed to make, and so you're kind of going to get this kind of double whammy of kind of businesses that were inevitably going to fail because their business model wasn't. Uh, uh, wasn't correct for market to those, you know, good businesses that have been damaged by COVID um, and uh, and who've needed to take on those loans, but they need their balance sheets restructured as, as a result. So I think everything's, everything's being pushed, pushed out. And, you know, the latest application for, uh, for example, the C-bills, that deadline is now been pushed back to the 31st of January, 2021. Yeah. So again, you know, there's more, more support kind of coming in, which is not a bad thing because it, you know, it's ultimately supporting businesses but it's got to stop at some stage
0: yeah yeah definitely um and ben do you agree there do you think kind of bank activity during this time has impacted um the the amount of opportunities out there for you um and will there perhaps be an influx in opportunity and deal opportunities once um kind of loans like the c bills are do come to an end
5: yeah i think i think we've seen similar to what will's just described you know early stage of COVID was a focus on the portfolio and make sure that that's sort of under control. And some of the themes that have been echoed already, you know, we've seen within the portfolio. So, you know, we've had out of our portfolio seven, three of the businesses have covenant resets and the banks, you know, were pretty easy to deal with and pretty generous with the covenant resets that, that, that they gave to us. None of those businesses needed extra liquidity or, you know, so they all had headroom, it was more a covenant problem, but the banks were very swift to support in, in that respect. Um, so that's been good. Some of the opportunities that we saw, you know, in the early days were actually businesses that were already failing pre COVID yep. and COVID just accelerated that. So you know, those were never going to be interesting opportunities to talk yeah. to us. Some are very sector specific. We'll come and talk about those later, um, mm. but, you know, but some of those opportunities were just businesses were just failing already. So you know, it, it was already too late and COVID just a- accelerated that. We're starting yeah. to see more interesting opportunities now. And I think, Over the next few months, you know, businesses have have funded themselves by squeezing where working capital and, you know, know, some cash injections and obviously the helpful support from the government, but that comes to an end. So, you know, we're starting to see more opportunities come through now of businesses that have seen through the initial sort of six months post COVID, but now need longer term solutions.
0: Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um Jet and Ian, are you seeing companies turn to CVA's in the market at the moment?
2: Yeah, we we, we have seen a lot actually. Um, so we we were involved, for example, in the CVA of Buzz Bingo over the course of the summer, um, and it's uh, it's yeah, it's 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 proven to be um, a tool that a lot of businesses have relied on in order to try to deal, in particular, with um, with with issues around sort of you know uh, being over rented and. Uh, and or needing to reduce the size of some of their 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 property portfolio um yeah. i think i think and, we, and and not only are we seeing a lot of activity around cbas but we're also seeing almost encouraged so r3 for example have, um, you know the, the the trade body have recently issued a, a template form of cba for smes which um as i understand it is is designed not to necessarily reduce liabilities to creditors but more to defer. but it's a you know, setting something up which in theory will will enable businesses to yep. more easily and do things in a more in a, a, a cheaper more straightforward the one the one sort of um issue I see coming is is that a, a, a lot of uh the deals that have happened really having a, a significant impact on on landlords and they are getting very heavily squeezed and yeah there, there will come a point where that that is just unworkable for them
1: and Ian, what are your thoughts? So, so I mean my view on CBAs is that they're going to carry on they're going mm-hmm. to keep building the challenge will be as it stands at the moment and something I mentioned earlier is first of January you only need one landlord in a portfolio to say I've had enough and they start winding up proceedings or forfeiture proceedings and the uh, whole thing will collapse like a house of cards
2: mm,
0: yeah yeah
1: so, mm-hmm. so you might suddenly you might suddenly find a move back to accelerated A's pre packs. Um, um, or, or uh, norm, normal administrations um, uh, or credit bids, for example, where yeah. particularly you know the debt funds, the private credit funds are saying enough, just give me the keys then. I might also well do it myself.
0: Okay, and now moving on to looking at deal sourcing. Um, so when it comes to deal sourcing in this environment, um, keen to understand what are the challenges um, and kind of how do you look to identify good deals, good quality deals. Um, so Ben, perhaps you could start us off on that one.
5: I think that the disciplines that we always would have had to identify good deals remain exactly the same. So you're looking for good businesses, resilient markets, and, you know, and the opportunity to, to make a difference. Um, what is challenging now is, is just making the financial assessment of some of the situations. It's just going to be more challenging given the impacts of COVID, either positive impacts or negative impacts on the mm. performance of the businesses. So you know, we're starting to see Information memorandums sort of come through on businesses, and information come through, you know, with the classic COVID adjustment, mm. adjusted COVID EBITDA, and some of them are quite laughable. The presentations that are being
4: sort of put forward.
0: And Will, have you got anything to add on this?
4: I, I add to that in terms of our fund two really is pivoting from operational distress, which is much more focus a focus of fund one, is to balance sheet or balance sheet corruption, as it were. And um, Agatha's Fund Two is finding good businesses, but predominantly actually good management teams. And that's the, you know, and that's the, those are the uh, businesses that we are really excited about backing because they've either by hook or by crook managed to get their way through this complete anomaly in our, uh, kind of in our lives. And, um, and, and those are the guys you want to be, want to be backing. And that's what we're kind of, I suppose, super excited
0: about. What sectors have faced the greatest headwinds during this period, and how long will they continue to face these for? Ian, perhaps you could start on this.
1: I think the first thing I'd say is there's a genuine risk we're going to see round two on the deals that have already gone through. Okay. Um, So, you know, we've, um, if you think about a CVA that's gone through on the basis of this is what the forecast will look like, we now have a four-week lockdown but then the next day politicians are saying could be longer mm. um, then you know and if you're a leisure business imagine a swimming pool a gym a golf club or whatever and you don't yeah. know a when you can reopen and b what's the the mood of the uptake from your uh, uh, members then there's, there's there's a big hole in your finances from what you've already agreed so you may have to go back and do it again but we, <laughs> actually, we actually have a cva fairly sizable cva where we're having to potentially go back and he went through on friday <laughs> so um so i think we could see round two or we could well the other thing we've seen is conversations with purchasers on accelerated mnas where the plan would be to buy the business potentially solvently and then cva afterwards get control cva it to try and do the restructuring in the way they want to do it so that's quite an in, that's quite interesting. In terms of sectors, I think you know we'll still, I think we'll still see more casual c- dining uh, and, and similar venues like that. Um, hotels coming. Um, okay. We've I've had three sizable inquiries in the last week or tip-offs in the last few weeks. Um, but if you move away from leisure and hospitality, I think that having been a lender for the last three years and looked at a number of acquisition opportunities to kind of broaden the portfolio, I think there's a lot of I don't mean this derogatorily, but subscale alternative lenders, whether asset financers or ABLs, things like that, who haven't quite got the scale and the the first loss buffer to survive what's going to happen. They haven't got the experience of LGDs and bad debt and things like that.
0: Okay.
1: Peer to peers, I can see having a problem. Um, everybody knows. I think retail's got a different problem, or uh, well, it's got more than one problem, which is obviously the landlord structures, but I think there's, there's a slow shift to different buying patterns anyway. Mm. It's whether this has accelerated it. So yeah. The winners will be the ones that, that grab that. And then I think we're going to start to see some infrastructure things like oil and gas, things like that, because we've got a new demand level, which nobody understands at the moment.
0: And then when it was flipping that on its head um, and looking at kind of areas that are attractive at the moment, um, Ben, and then perhaps Will, if you could follow on from this, um, where, where's the most, what areas are you considering?
5: That's a, well, I mean, for, we're a special sits investor, so we like the complexity. So inevitably, we're going to be drawn to businesses that have had some level of disruption as a result yeah. of, of this. And... Yeah, it's interesting going through the sectors that have been, um, you know, I was on the call saying disrupted. You could add more to that. You know, aerospace, aerospace supply chain, automotive supply chain, and then the ripple out of impact on suppliers to all of these sectors will it will go across a whole swathes of you know, SMEs across the UK. So. You know, there's, situationally, there will be lots of opportunities in, in sectors. I think there's clear sectors for us absolutely to avoid, where okay. it's so difficult to you know, understand what the demand looks like and the, you know, the impact over the next few years. Um, but, you know, we're opportunistic and you know, we'll, we'll look at anything that, that comes along. Um, it's very easy to do is dismiss some of these things, but actually there's others that are oh, interesting. Um, you know, we've just sold a business that's in the pet sector and it sells into grocery retail, and, you know the business is double digit like-for-like like growth and it had an awful lot of, of interest so you know, there's mm-hmm. businesses that are doing well out there um, and it had a lot of interest because it's shown some resilience and it's got growth and it's had a good team so yeah, there will be more mainstream players really going after those sorts of businesses.
4: From our perspective it's like we look at it and kind of go across the board there's, there's been you know as guys are saying hospitality health, hotels events retail leisure, um you know schools um, we've seen a few Mm -hmm. schools appear to be lenders um landlords are going to be disrupted then you move into the manufacturing space it's just like it's it's carnage um and this comes back to really trying to pare back finding fundamentally good businesses with good management teams and backing as ian was rightly saying it's actually backing those backing those management teams
0: and andrew what sectors have you been seeing increased activity in
4: I can um, tell you, I know certainly from when we're ensuring
3: kind of successful um, businesses, I. the ones that are doing well, where they haven't had, as uh, Ben and Will would say, in terms of disruption, there's, I guess the three sectors we have done a lot of deals with and certainly the last six months have
2: mm.
3: particularly been in logistics and the software around logistics,
2: okay.
3: uh, technology that supports it, and healthcare and life sciences deals. We've had a huge uptick in those. So, so they're kind of sector areas that we have seen have been you know, have done very well in Covid.
0: Going back to this, I think we can't ignore some of the big headline um, cases in the retail sector. Um, So clearly, as we've, as we've already discussed, the retail sector has been hit considerably. Um, But what we've noticed is a number of high street brands have continued to receive equity injections. Um, So obviously, we've got New Look, as as we mentioned earlier, um, Hunter Boots, we've got Dutch retailer Hema, um, as well, all, each all have all of which have received these XT injections. Um, so, why why is this taking place? I'm keen to understand that. Um, and is it, un, is it purely to protect their returns in the long term? Um, and what are the dangers of acting in this way? Um, ben, have you got any views on this?
5: Well, you know, we, over the not not in the last six months with COVID, have we had to put equity into businesses? But we have done in the past. Yeah. You, you put equity in where you believe in the business and you want to protect your position. And that's either driven by a need for cash or a discussion with the banks who are getting aggressive on you and want to be delivered. Um, and you, you do that. It's always the judgment of, you know, putting more money in, are you putting good money in after mm-hmm. bad, or are you putting money in um, to support a business that's eventually going to deliver a return? And you have to yeah. you know, look at a return on that investment, you know, very specifically to you know, understand is that a good decision you know or not. And you, you're doing
2: it to support your investment.
0: Jack, what are your thoughts on this activity?
2: We're also seeing um seeing motivation driven by um other external sort of influences as well. So you, you mm. see for instance in in say the travel sector, um you know the the, the the CAA is keeping a very close eye on on a lot of businesses, um obviously having been been burnt some of by some of the high profile collapses over the last couple of years and so they're they're very focused on making sure that businesses are well capitalized and able to 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 get through what's going on Um, and and the threat being that if 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 businesses don't have enough enough liquidity uh, for their liking that they'll they'll remove their license and stop them from selling holidays for example which Mm. is catastrophic for that sort of business
0: i think an area that has um kind of been very active um during this time has been the the carve out deal sector um so i'm keen to understand will um uh, a carve outs coming from companies in sectors facing headwinds or have you seen any other opportunities um in different sectors that that were interesting to you
4: so yes we have seen quite a few starting to come through and i think that will i think that will increase um yeah. businesses perhaps potentially that we were That were bought by a larger group that maybe they deem as non-core or kind of refocus reflecting back um but it's you know it's a it's that's a tough uh place for a large corporate to be in because they're selling it into a down market essentially yeah arguably you could say well yeah fine they're raising cash to protect the core business but they're in a weak position and so therefore you know kind of why sell unless you have to and um uh, or unless you're in a sector that has been unaffected or is a, is a booming sector as 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 a result of the you know the the tragedy that has happened over the last um over the last year yeah. um, so you know yes we are seeing a kind of an increase in that and i imagine it will increase um as capital becomes more constrained and, and uh, large corporates are looking for further resources of capital to sustain the, the center of the company i think we're going to have five million people unemployed by um, January, February, potentially next year, um, and then that's going to have a knock-on on con- con- consumer confidence, which is going to have then a further impact in terms of uh, um, businesses that are struggling to survive at the moment. Maybe quality businesses, but struggling to survive when consumer confidence is hit, and so they're buying, you know, buying power is then uh, um, or, or the, the consumer's uh, ability or desire to go out and buy products is, is, is diminished. So yeah, it's um, it's pretty uh, certainly, pretty certainly.
0: Yeah, I do, I do think it's it's pretty worrying and uh, the impact that this, this is likely to have. But I guess that's where private equity firms will hopefully be able to come in and, and save the day and actually find those quality businesses and keep them going where, where they can. Um, and now, uh, just I'm concerned about time, so just we'll move on um, and then I'll kind of run through the questions per person. Um, in terms of transaction risk, um so Andrew I know this is this is a point where you specialise in as well and when it comes to distress and special situations transactions what transaction risks exist um, and what risks the managers need to be aware of especially now
3: well I think the the direct answer is is, this kind of risk in every transaction how you can mitigate that risk is I guess is the evolution of insurance and where we're currently at in terms of the, the kind of if you're splitting up the risk in a transaction you can, and how they're covered off under insurance, um, in terms of unknown and unforeseen risks in a business, that's ordinarily covered off in kind of warranty and indemnity insurance policies.
2: Mm-hmm. But
3: likewise, where a, a risk is uh, comes through in the due diligence or disclosure process that's known about, or there's a risk that it will crystallize post completion, that's taken care with um, contingent risk policies. And so, Often where we work is is working with a combination of them both, dependent what is driven out in that due diligence process. Yeah. In terms of I guess the evolution of, of where we're at is, you know, in terms of the solvent, successful M and A business. You know, it depending on who you get your data or stats from, that's it's anything between sixty and seventy percent of all deals are now insured, um, and that's a kind of combination of uh, competition amongst insurers. I guess. I was still in practice I think there was maybe six maybe seven insurers who would look at a deal now as of last week it's 29 different insurers and that creates two things it kind of creates that competition brings the price down so it makes it actually uh, price worthy and it also means the coverage position is better I guess you know 10 years ago when deals were first insured that it was expensive and fundamentally it was crap I mean as as a lawyer's kind of advising on these deals, you would thinking, well, what am I actually getting here? That evolution, you know, has clearly changed an awful lot. And I guess there's also the kind of commercial awareness of where it works and where it doesn't, uh, which is is fundamental. And I guess confidence in the the products, you know, insurers are now paying out on claims and sizable claims. And that confidence is now filtering through. Yeah. In terms of distressed deals and how that's kind of evolved over time, obviously the general m and fell off a cliff in, in March, April. You've got these 29 insurers. They all, they all it's a risk reward ratio. They all want a premium of some form. They, when you're down, just like every other business in this situation, they're all looking to innovate and, and find premium elsewhere. I guess those ones, I guess I've been talking to last year in terms of the distressed area. You know there are some innovative insurers and fundamentally probably more importantly lawyers who are working there who have a background of restructuring insolvency and understand the parameters understand the risks and are being more commercial
0: just moving on to um now i'm keen to get all of your views looking to the long term um firstly i know we kind of mentioned it before in terms of the government support and once that slows Um, Will it be easier to identify attractive, special situations, opportunities? Um, So, Will, what's your view on that?
4: When the government schemes come to an end, I think we'll see a a, a natural, massive increase in the number of opportunities that are starting to come through. Mm. Um, In terms of how easy is it to identify good opportunities? I think that we were talking about risks a, a second ago. The big question, I think, for all of us is, well, what does the new normal look like yeah. and that's the that's the, that's the underlying um, one of the huge underlying questions that we ask when we're looking at um, kind of new opportunities because I think we're going to see a cultural change in the way way we work um, and the ramifications of that could quite easily spread across so many different sectors that um, we we don't really understand the, the kind of full kind of full impact of that um, so yeah I think in in uh, in light of, I think there'll be more opportunities coming coming through, and um, and how we how we evaluate and identify those opportunities is 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 challenging, but it's we'll we'll, we'll work through it. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely.
5: And do you agree, Ben? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the question's sort of in two parts, isn't it? Is one, what's the volume of special sits, you know, opportunities, and then your question is about how attractive are they? So I agree with Will. There's absolutely going to be a significant volume of them, particularly when the government support initiatives end, and then the attractiveness of them is you know how able are we to assess them, you know, so an element of stability, you know, so with a bit more passage of time, you can see where these businesses are adjusting to in terms of the term then sort of the new norm, so they'll be easier to assess. Um so it, there will absolutely be more opportunities and there'll be you know a, a lot of work required to sift through them and identify the ones that are really interesting but you know with time we'll be able to assess them easier